All right, so it's an exciting day. It's an exciting day for a lot of reasons, and one of the first ones is, is we are going to hand out to you a Live Well devotional today, an entire month devotional for you individually, for you and your family to go through. So every time you hear the Word of God here on Sunday, you have seven days that you can study further into that message. And today's message is about living by the Word, and so the first seven days of Live Well is about living by the Word and all of the, the power and the fruitfulness that God's Word can have in your life. And so we are wanting you to pick one of these up. And so I'm reminding ushers uh, and even maybe a couple of extra deacons to head back there to those boxes that are underneath uh, our worship folders and make sure that you distribute these one or two to a family. We've got 140 of them. We would love to run out and have to print more. That'd be fantastic. But that's going to be happening at the end of the service. Also, after the service, another unique thing is going to be happening. And that is last Last week, we had a wonderful united fellowship in the gym where we mixed young and old together and we shared a part of our stories, but we also talked about how important it was for us to do that, that very thing is to cross over into each other's lives. It was incredibly loud in that room um, and difficult to hear each other. So when we do another united fellowship, we might spread out a little bit more um, in various places, but still it was a good thing to do to come together uh, as a body. We're going to do that again this morning. We're going to do it differently. All the ladies are going to head down to the gym, and the women's ministry is going to give a, a, a presentation of sorts. It really isn't a presentation. It's more, a, more of a get-together gathering. I've got multiple uh, ladies that are going to be sharing with you and encouraging you um, in a very specific way that helps us to accomplish our goals as a body and our goal for making ministers in 2017, all right? And if you're a manly man that's going to stick around and come back into this room at 11 11.05 to meet with all the manly, godly, good-looking men uh, of First Baptist Church. Why don't you just go ahead and say amen right now? Amen. amen. You didn't say amen right now. You said amen. And why don't you just go ahead and say amen right now? Okay, good. Now, now you're starting to follow. Good for you. <laughs> All right, we'd love to have you here. Uh, two young men in our church are going to be sharing, and then one uh, more mature, se seasoned citizen of our church is going to be sharing uh, during that time. And I am going to present you men with a fantastic challenge, something that you will agree with God about almost instantly because it's in the Word and it's inescapable. But that taking the challenge to go and do it is going to be something else. So that's all I'm going to tell you right now. I hope that you come back for that. And um, there's been a lot of amen in the singing and a lot of amen right here at the beginning of the message. But I'm going to tell you something. This is an amen message. When I was uh, uh, going to worship with uh, Judd Lacey, who lost his wife, and I was just going to Central Wesleyan to be supportive of the Lacey family and to hear about this great woman who knew the Lord, um, they had a pastor that was not from Central Wesleyan, and I really still don't know where he was from, but he weren't from around here because he had more Southern in him, and I think he had more Western Southern in him, maybe uh, Tennessee or Kentucky, because he could, he could talk, talk like, like this, and, uh, and uh, he could talk real quick, and, and he would amen himself. And I, I, it reminded me, for the first time in eight and a half years, I heard a Baptist preacher amening himself. I don't really amen myself 
uh, in my sermons. But, but then I, I drove home and I thought about it and I said, man, that guy was so excited about the word of God, he had to pause and give his worship to it even as he was preaching it. And that's what this message is all about. This message is about living by the book. This is an amen message all the way through. And I'd like for you to go ahead right now and pray with me to be excited about what God has to say to you that you would receive and do the word of God here this morning. Could we pray together? Let's do that. Heavenly Father, give us your spirit of illumination to see the inspired word of God, the full word of God, and to receive it into our hearts and lives, to be encouraged, to be strengthened by it, and be called to holiness in it, and to walk, therefore, in a manner that is worthy of you because we're following your word. God, give me your words today. Holy Spirit, help me and guide me, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Pat. <laughs> cute. Real cute. Okay. Little, little fake spilled mustard packet there. Real cute. Yeah. Okay. You're not going to throw me today. You're not going to throw me today. No. Look at the screen here. Tonight, Pastor Cameron did a good job of explaining the One Heart at a Time training class. And we had a great class. Thank you all you families that came last week. We played hide and go seek in the church, and we turned that back around to a great spiritual truth. We're going to play a couple more games. We're going to use the board. There'll be interactive uh, teaching, and there'll also be the beginning of us sharing our stories about how Jesus the life changer has changed our lives at the One Heart at a Time training class. And so the essential elements for telling our story will be in our class tonight and three short videos that help us to explain and embrace the gospel. Videos that you can link right to your Facebook page, videos that you can uh, text out or you can email out to others or put on your Twitter account, whatever you want to do. Um, those will be helpful in, in sharing the gospel uh, with others. Now last week we started the Live Well series and we talked uh, about... Uh, our house being upon that foundation of Jesus Christ, which is rock, so that when the rains come and beat upon that house, it is not shaken because its foundation is rock. And next week in the Live Well series, we're going to talk about remembering the Lord. We have a unique testimony that is going to be shared from a couple in our church, and I want you to be here for that. But next week we'll be in Psalm 77, verses 10 through 12, as we get ourselves ready also to receive the Lord's communion, the remembrance of Christ's body and blood given for us. But today, today in the Word, here's what we're going to do. We're going to discover the profound differences between the way, the way, the path, the way, the life, the lifestyle, the way of righteousness and the way of the wicked. And we're going to discover that blessed are those who delight in receiving God's instruction. Not blessed are the, those who receive God's instruction, but blessed are those who just go, mm, and enjoy God's instruction. I want you to think of your favorite food right now. Think of your favorite food right now. Have you got it? Have you got it? Have you got your favorite food? All right, ready? Say it back to me. One, two, three. Asian food. What? I didn't understand what you said, but anyway, anyway, Think of your favorite food and how you delight in ingesting it, all right? Now think of your wife's or your mom's favorite food because hopefully in two weeks you will be providing that for her on Mother's Day. Okay, anyway, 
But still, we have favorites. We have things that we delight in. And what the Bible says is, is the man who, who takes a way of righteousness, he delights in receiving God's instruction. On the field yesterday, I was umpiring. And uh, I umpire uh, in the Zealand wreck just to sort of help out and to have some positive influence in, in people's lives. And it's amazing how hard it is to be a positive influence when you're an umpire and everyone hates you. But, <clears throat> but I was calling balls and strikes. And between the innings, I walked out there to the infield where the pitcher was warming up. And I said, so what you got going on this weekend? She goes, I don't know. And so I said to the first baseman, so what have you got going on this weekend? And they were like, I don't know. And at the third baseman, I don't know. And I'm, I'm thinking, so someone else directs your plans. You know, you don't, you don't know after you leave today what your next way is. And I said, well, t- tell me this, you know, have you ever stopped into Chick-fil-A for lunch? And the first baseman said, no, no, I haven't. I, I Pitcher, no, no. The third baseman said, what's Chick-fil-A? So I followed her parents to the parking lot. No, I didn't. I didn't do that. I didn't do that. Wanted to. Wanted to. Spirit of self-control. Praise the Lord. All right? But anyway, here's, here's the point of that. It goes to show that all of us are listening to a variety of voices, and we are tasting a variety of favorites. And we have limits on what we can ingest. We have limits on what we can take in. They hadn't heard about Chick-fil-A because they'd heard about other things. They'd heard about Culver's. They'd heard about Arby's. They'd heard about all those second-class citizens in the fast food industry. And Psalm 1 this morning is going to show us today how we can be counseled in one of two very different directions, two very different tastes, two very different delights that will produce very different outcomes in our lives. And will the result be that today, as one whole body of Christ here this morning, oh Lord, oh Lord, I I praise you, Father. Thank you, Father. That we will regard the Bible, God's words to us, as a supreme blessing that can give us a stable and consistently growing, fruitful and abundant, abundant life. Will we walk out of here believing that the Bible, the scripture, God's word to us will help us to live well and it has a well-lived life in it. It has a life, the living word in it that we can find, that we can grow in and we can produce fruit from. Will that happen here this morning? Look down at Psalm 1 with me here this morning. It's easy to find the Psalms because if you were to open up the Bible to its middle, you'd be right at Psalm 100. So back up just a little bit to Psalm 1, and we're going to look at verses 1 and 2 first. First, we're going to see the description of the blessed or the blessed there. The term blessed is very familiar in the scripture, especially in the Psalms, but Jesus uses that term many times to talk about a condition of someone who has received something or has a certain condition that reflects God. Blessed is what Jesus opens with when he shares the Beatitudes. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Uh, poor in spirit. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the, are the peacemakers, for they will be children of God. 
He's talking about a condition. And here the word esher for blessed, Psalms opens up with a benediction. It says, there is a blessed person who is one with many blessings. Now, my favorite name ever for a meal that I've ever heard. I mean, I've heard all kinds of names for meals. You know, Big Mac, that's a pretty good name for a hamburger. I've, I've heard the old 96er. I've, I've heard all kinds of wonderful names for a meal. But the best name I've ever heard for a meal was at a Chinese restaurant in Charlotte. It was called Triple Happiness. As soon as I saw the name of that meal, I wanted that meal, Triple Happiness. Who doesn't want Triple Happiness? And so I walked up and I said, well, tell me, what is triple happiness? And they say, oh, well, you have pork, you have chicken, you have shrimp. Uh, and we could do quadruple happiness if you want. We put beef in there and stuff like that. But then I found out to have triple happiness, I had to make double payment for triple happiness. And so I, didn't, I had to settle for single happiness, and I got the chicken broccoli instead. But... Here, the psalm opens by saying that there is a multiple blessinged person. Blessed is the man. And down south, a phrase that you will hear quite often, especially when people are loving upon each other well, is this phrase. I ain't going to turn down no blessing. That's the phrase. Oh, I ain't going to turn down no blessing. Somebody comes by and brings a casserole. Somebody comes by and helps out in the yard. Oh, I ain't going to turn down no blessing. Because that is a, a Christian attitude that says, if God wants to give me good gifts, if God wants to bless me, I am completely fine with that. All right? Church, are you fine with God blessing you? Would you be fine with God blessing you today? You would be fine with that? So you would receive anything and everything that God would have to offer you today, okay? Then why is it that practically every day we turn down many of God's blessings? Why is that? Why is it when it, when it gets down to my actual decision, my choice which leads to my actions, which leads to my lifestyle, my lifestyle many times vacates the blessings of God? And here, the psalm wants to convince you to be the kind of Christian that ain't going to turn down no blessing. That's what the psalmist wants to convince us of here this morning. Look at what it says. It says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. Now, he starts with this first word, walks. We're going we're gonna to hear three important words, walks stands and sits. But the first one is walks. It's like a pass by. You're walking by. It still can get your attention, but it doesn't have your total attention because you're walking by. It's kind of like the reason why so many men hold hands with their wives when they walk through markets or malls because if something catches their wife's attention, they have a firm handhold to keep pulling to keep her going. It's a walk by. It still can get some attention. It's directional in the way that it occurs. You're on a path already, and you're on a path that can hear the counsel of 
the wicked. And it shows, and when it says there, where, where it says walks not, it literally is the word uh, in Hebrew, halek, which means to follow, to walk as a metaphor for living. There's a guy that's on a path, and he's on a path that is near, within ear's reach of the counsel, meaning the advice, the principles of wickedness. And Colossians 2.8 tells us this, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. The scripture warns that you can be captivated and then trapped by that if you walk in the counsel of the wicked. Blaise Pascal is quoted as saying this, the voices we listen to the most are the ones that attract us the most. I paid attention to who the Panthers got in the NFL draft because I'm a Panther fan. You, you paid attention probably to a second-class animal in the feline family uh, in the NFL draft yesterday as well. We listen to what we are attracted to the most. The reason why we need to consider what we listen to is because we frame what we hear into principles, into objectives, into goals. Those form ways. They form paths for us. Our actions are the result of what we think is right and what is beneficial to us. We act because we have some sort of outlook, unless we're four. Because when we ask the four-year-old, why did you do that? The answer is, I don't know. Right? I don't know. The four-year-old is not conceptually ready yet to know that there is only one answer to that question, which is, because I wanted to. That's the answer. Why do you do what you do? You do it because you want to do it. That's a principle behind everything is that you have desire to do what you do. And you have desire not to do the things that you do not do. And both of them can be principled by God and his word or both of them can be principled by wickedness. So the goal here of these counselors, of these wicked, is to sanctify sin and to reject God, to create a principle that says you don't need God, you don't need to worry about sin. It's unhealthy counsel, and the taking of counsel is the beginning of influence upon my heart and upon my mind. So blessed is the man. Here's the first blessing is he chooses not to walk in the, in the counsel of the godly. But second of all, he is blessed to not stand in the way of sinners. See what it says there? He doesn't stand. Now we've slowed down. Now my wife has jerked my arm back to the jewelry store or the department store, and now we're focusing attention in one place, in one direction. Doesn't stand in the way of sinners, and the word for stand means to remain. And so now the listener is giving more time, more direct attention. It's the beginning of an attitude. First it was principles, and now it's gonna move to practice. What will I practice here? And it says, in the way of sinners. 
And the word there in the Hebrew, it actually connotes criminality. It's people that are lawbreakers that are encouraging lawbreaking. So it's something that you innately know inside is already wrong, but you're still being encouraged to do it. When the Kenya mission team was in Nairobi on our final day, we walked through the market. And I have to say, it was what the most nerve-wracking, nervous day for all of us. I mean, we loved each other the entire time that we were together for those two weeks. Uh, we walked together closely, but never did we need each other or need more encouragement than that final day that we were walking through the market in Nairobi. Because it's very easy to say no to merchants as you are walking along. But what, here's what the merchants do. They block your path. And once they block your path, then they encourage you to look into their, to, to their booth, and then they close you in. And you can't get out of the booth. It takes a very firm no after that. What they wanted you to do was to give your wrapped and trapped attention to them so that you could be invited into their booths, and then they would block you there, and then they would close the deal. Because now the hearer is standing. He's been stopped by speech that is so attractive that now he's giving more attention to it. First, it was just a philosophy. It was just principles. It was counsel of the wicked. But now it's moving toward actual practice. You're being told what to do. And the way of sinners and being told what to do is to follow a worldly lifestyle, empty and hollow, based upon the principles, the low base principles of this world rather than the principles of Christ. And so it's not just thoughts anymore, it's actions. The more we think one way, the more we take that way. And failing to give primary and exclusive attention to God's speech takes us down a path, and it takes us away. James tells us that temptation gives birth to desire, and thinking more about it, spending more time in that temptation builds the want to in me. Temptation gives birth to desire, and that desire then gives birth to sin, and that sin gives birth to death. It's gone from walk now to stand. And now we hear the third blessing of a do not. The third blessed do not, and that is, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. He doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. He does not stand in the way of sinners, and he does not sit in the seat of scoffers. The word there for sits is yashals. It means actually to dwell. It means to take a posture of dwelling. Uh, we were hanging out with some people on Friday night, and when after we had had our meal, we left the table and we went to couches because that's where we wanted to dwell. We sit and dwell in couches. That's where we wanted to spend meaningful time together. So when you're hanging out and you're comfortable with yourself and you're in a position of comfort and you got the right things around you, that's when you dwell. It's like when I dwell with swamp people on Thursday nights and watch them hunt alligators. That's, that's my place to dwell. I enjoy swamp people. And it says, nor sits in the seat, nor dwells there. Proverbs 21 defines the scoffer, though, because the word now is scoffer, not sinner, but scoffer. And Proverbs 21, 24 defines the scoffer as one who revels in his own arrogance. He's filled with haughty pride. He tweets out his sins and he says, ain't I cool? Look at me. 
Look at what I'm doing. Ha! It's the scoffer. And Scripture says, don't give any time to a scoffer. Because that person has gone to a point where he's so in love with his sin, he's proud of his sin. There isn't any concern, there isn't any conviction about what he's doing. And yet the Word of God speaks a lot about dwelling. The Word of God speaks a lot about dwelling. And the thing that I was most impressed this week in my study of the Word of God is that God is a dweller. God's a dweller. God wants to dwell with you. And a great place to be dwelling with him is in his living word. Now, God is actually moving us not just from a place where we can know him through his spirit and know him through the word and come into the knowledge of Christ, as 2 Peter uh, 1, 3 says, but he's actually going to move us to a place where we will forever be with the Lord and we will be in a sinless existence with the Lord. And the scripture says in Revelation that the tabernacle of God or the place of God's dwelling is with men. God wants to forever dwell with us. But the, here's the great news. is you can sit in the seat of God's dwelling right now. You can dwell with the almighty a scoffer dwells in his sin. He loves his sin. He says, man, that was cool, wasn't it? That was great what I did just then. He heralds his own sin. But the scripture reminds us that they do not have a forever dwelling. They only have a temporary dwelling. They have a very short dwelling. They have a breath dwelling. Pretty soon you're going to see they have a chaff like the wind blows away dwelling. Scripture reminds us in 2 Peter, scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing and they will follow their own sinful desires. And Peter will also explain how they will come to an end. So instead, instead of walking in the counsel of the ungodly, standing in the way of sinners and sitting at the seat of scoffers, which is a past tense expression, we move to instead here, and that's the word but that you see in the ESV. It really is the word instead or rather than. It's built as a contrast. We move into the present tense. It's here and now. There's a tense change. It's right up against us. It's not a wasn't or a was. It's an is. And it says there in verse 2, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and, light, day and night. Is your life an is life? Is your Christianity an is life? Or is it a was? You believe something and now you're waiting to go to heaven. Or is your Christianity, is your faith that you are living out a right here and right now, is it an is? If someone were to walk up to you and say, what is God doing in your life right now? What is God saying in your life right now? Where are you hearing and doing in the word of God? Do you have an is statement? Do you have a right here and right now statement? Could you come up and say, oh man, I'm burdened for these two one heart at a time people and, and uh, I'm making progress with them and I'm praying for them and I'm talking with them more across the yard and we, my husband and I are gonna, gonna go over there and uh, bring a dessert one night and just visit with them. Oh, I've been humbled by God and I now see a sin that's been in my life for some time and I'm correcting that because I've let the holy word of God, the scripture that 2 Timothy 3.16 says can rebuke me, can correct me and train me in righteousness. It's doing that. Do you have an is lifestyle? 
his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. The blessed man is the present tense man. The blessed man is the here and now man. The blessed man is the here and now and the eternal nows man. He's, I'm with God right now, man, and I have one delight. That's the hard thing about living in this world is there is triple happiness everywhere, right? There are many delights everywhere, many offerings, and I can't take in all of those delights. He delights in one thing here. There is one delight, the law of God. So this man has made a firm decision not only to avoid principles that lead to actions which lead to sinful pride and haughtiness, but he has made a firm decision to be in the word of God and to hear the word of God. And it says there, the, that man delights in the Lord. The word for delights is the word klephets in Hebrew. It means to delight in, to take great pleasure in. And this is my burden for the church. I just find so many believers that are dutiful, so many believers that are good servants of God, so many believers that have deep conviction, so many believers that do know much of the Word of God. They just don't have that great sense of pleasure with God. And in a previous series that I shared with you, we talked about the enjoyment of God. God is to be enjoyed. There's great pleasure in finding God in his word and following God in his word. This blessed person finds pleasure, delight in God's word. And why? Because God is not a McDonald's drive through Okay, I, I can throw down a couple of Big Macs just like anybody. No mustard, please. But I can throw down a couple of Big Macs like anybody. But that is temporary. It's not lasting. The pleasure of God is supposed to be perpetual pleasure of God. We're supposed to grow in this pleasure of God. That's why it's an is. It's a here and now. It's a perpetuity. It's, not, it's a not supposed to ever go away. It's a constant now because God is a God who is pleased to give us his son and is pleased to have his son live inside of us and is pleased to plant his word inside of us and to see that grow into something as immense and fruitful as a tree planted by streams of living water. There is great pleasure in finding the worth of the word and then obeying that worthy word. There isn't a whole lot of pleasure in just obeying commands. And young people, are you listening to me? Young people, listen to me. When I say young people, now I have to, I have to mean like 35 and under, okay? Are you listening to me? Aren't there great things that you want to do with your life? Don't you want to get married and have kids? And don't you want to have a career? Don't you want to maybe one day be a servant in your church? Maybe lead a Bible study? Maybe lead a Bible a small group that we're going to start um, uh, planting small groups here uh, in the fall uh, in this church? Don't you want to do something great? All right? Well, here's the thing. You want to do something big and something great for God and really be a fruitful follower of Jesus Christ, then it ain't no time to be a sapling then. It is no time to be a sapling then. Now's the time to be a sapling and a perpetually growing Christian, a perpetually growing Christ follower that continues to walk in the pleasure of God as he is pleased and delighted in following God's word. 
when I am 47 and when I have to help one kid get to this college and another kid get to this college and help this other child get ready for her college and when there's not enough month at the end of the money and when I get into an accident right on Main Street and when my parents get cancer and when all of those things and it is not time to be a sapling. It's time to be a tree. And so he says in verse 2, he says, he delights in the law of the Lord and he meditates upon it day and night. And so what this means, this is a progression. It's saying this is doing something for him. There's no pleasure in just knowing commands, folks. You stay a sapling when you just know commands. There's no pleasure in that. But there's great pleasure in knowing the God of the commands and following the God of the commands. 1 Thessalonians 4, 1. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. Perpetuity. Keep on, keep on, keep on. On his law, he meditates day and night. And here's the problem that we have with this word meditation. We take a very Western approach to this idea of meditation. And so we think that meditation is memorization or repetition. We have a hard time understanding what, what, what meditation means as a form of soul absorption and filling up of our body with a thought that we just buy into. We have even a problem of just being more persuaded each day by Jesus. We say we believe in Jesus Christ when truly the, the, the fact of the matter is we are believing in Jesus Christ. We're believing in the word constantly. We're believing more in the word of God constantly. And so when it says there meditates, it's hard for us because either we think of this very modernistic, repetitious repeat and memorize side of meditation, which is a part of it, or we think of a very Eastern idea of just going transcendental and going to a whole other world and living in another world, and we don't really get this definition of meditation. Well, let me share with you the contextual meaning here this morning. The word is used twice in the book of Isaiah, one time to refer to a lion growling over his prey. You're like, hey, pastor, thank you. That's, that's very helpful. <laughs> A growling over prey. Now get this. The lion has subdued its prey and has not made the kill. The lion is still delighting in just the capture of the food. Still delighting in just the capture of the food. And then the lion is going to delight in the kill. And then the lion is going to de delight in the feeding you ever hear a lion growl and say, this is mine, this is mine? It's because that lion's been hungry for food. And now that lion has his, his prey. The lion has in him the thrill of the capture still and is taking the time as he moves toward the kill and the consumption. I hung out with my friend Levi last night, Levi Eifert, and uh, we were at uh, a restaurant that's... Well, I just, its initials are Chick-fil-A. And anyway, we were at this restaurant, and, and the cool thing at Chick-fil-A is, is with the kids' meals, and they always get the kids' meals because you can turn the book, the little tiny book back in that's still in the, in the wrapping, and you can get an ice cream dessert instead. And so they make sure that, you know, all the kids eat, and they finish their meal and stuff like that. And when they go and turn in their, their, their little 
the little reader book and they get the ice cream. And so the other ones, they're just, they're just, they're just consuming their ice cream. And Levi, he just sits there and goes, lick, lick, lick. He growls over his prey. He gets every lick of enjoyment. He covers, he lathers those taste buds every lick. He swallows slowly. And then at 8.30, his parents put him in the van. He, he takes 30 minutes to enjoy the ice cream cone. That's what it means to meditate day and night. Do you have that? Are you growling over the word of God? Do you have that intense hunger, hunger that says, I'm thrilled now to have it? Do you have the intense pleasure of I'm thrilled now to taste it? Do you have the intense confidence and fullness of I'm thrilled now to do it? He meditates on it day and night. So there's a big transition from verse 1 to verse 2. First is the prohibition, the elimination of things. Don't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Don't stand in the way of sinners. Don't sit at the seat of mockers. Do not posture yourself to dwell with mockery of God. Don't do that. But then do this one thing, delight in the law of the Lord and meditate upon it day and night because that generates a relationship from, from elimination to generation of a relationship with God and a generation of great pleasure. Now look at verse 3. It says, here's what that blessed man is like. We go from the walk, all right, to the generation of a relationship to the condition that he's in. He is like a tree planted by streams of water and yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither and all that he does, he prospers. What's the metaphor that the psalmist uses? A tree, but not just any tree, not just any tree. Oh man, when I was over in Kenya and I would walk up massive hills to go to places where we had to teach and do computer training and PowerPoint and in Word. Uh, uh, I would walk along this edge and there'd be this wall right here and there'd be this tree that was halfway on and halfway off the cliff. And I'm going, oh tree, bad choice. Bad choice, tree. Bad place. I mean, that tree's roots were all exposed and sticking out and those roots were just looking, hey, is there anywhere? Can, can I, can any, a little help. And I'm going, oh, I don't know about the future of that tree because it's not very well rooted. But this tree is a tree that's planted by streams of living water. Jesus states in Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, when tempted by the evil one, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Jesus was probably referring all the way back to Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, where God humbled Israel to even greater dependence upon him by their inability to find food for themselves, and they would have to wait for manna to come from the sky for provision to proceed from God. And that's the Word of God. The Word of God is great provision to us. But here's the thing that we've got to be willing to say if we are going to be people of the word. 
we've got to be willing to say that we are dependent upon the word. We've got to be willing to say, as I depend, I rely upon this. It's not me, not I, but I rely upon the word of God. That's not a very popular thing to say anymore, that we're dependent upon anything. I don't want to say that I'm dependent upon sugar or caffeine. I don't want to say that I'm dependent upon my bank account. I don't want to say I am dependent upon the word of God. I'm a tree planted by streams of water. Now, this righteous person, he's avoided hearing and walking with and scoffing with scoffers, and he gets into the word of God. And the word is not just rules, but it's principles that we can live by. And so now we actually get a picture of who this godly man is. He is a person who spends time. You know what a tree has? You know what a tree has? Time. That's what a tree has. A tree's got lots of time, right? I get so annoyed from November all the way to April looking at trees and seeing no fruit, no leaves, no nothing. The anorexic trees of Zeeland, Holland area. And then I'm thrilled in mid-April when the first buds start to appear and now everything is blossoming, blossoming beautifully because the tree is doing exactly what a tree should do. But here's the thing, is all that occurred before is what the tree needs in time to blossom correctly in its time. A tree is doing exactly what a tree ought to do when it's taking the time that it needs. The godly man spends time with God. He gives up other things. He reduces from triple delight to one delight, the law of the word. And he dwells on the word of God. Anybody ever flood a plant? Anybody ever take a potted plant in your house and absolutely flood it and dirt, water and soil gets all over the carpet or all over the counter because you overwatered it? That's not what a tree does. A tree just continually drinks and drinks and drinks until its root system grows bigger and it can dr drink more. And then its root system grows bigger and it can drink more and more and more. You don't take a sapling and dump 100 gallons of water and 50 pounds of fertilizer on it and expect an oak to appear tomorrow. The sapling becomes an oak because it takes the time. Are you taking the time? Are you taking the time in the Word of God? Have you taken in the word of God, pondered it, meditated on it? Have you growled over it and gotten every little bit of nourishment out of it, even as the lion does, sucking the marrow out of the bones? The third thing about the godly man is he's a changeling. He's a changing person. He's planted near streams of living water. No better metaphor for life can there be than water. If you want a, meta, a great metaphor for life, don't drink water for three days. You've got a great metaphor for life. Well-watered Christians are people who have received the essential nourishment for their souls through the word of God, and they don't turn instantly into oaks, but they're changing. Oh, they're changing. Soon they become young trees. Those saplings start to build a stronger trunk 
They form more and more branches. And because they form more and more branches and because their roots get deeper and deeper, they produce more and more fruit. And another thing that you may not have noticed about this godly man in the scripture is he's playing the long game. He's not playing the short game like the wicked, like the scoffer. Just let me get what I want right here and now. He's playing the long game of life. That's the person who's in the word continually. That person does not believe that the word of God is some formula for perfection today. But that person sees it as the way to following Jesus all the way until the day of his redemption. That person is playing the long game. The righteous go to oak. They become like a well-aged, stronger tree each day, more fruitful each day, because that day they took in what they needed to take in to grow a little more. There's something God wants to do in your life right now. Right now, there's one change, there's one correction, there's one growth, there's, one th- there's at least one thing God wants to do in your life right now. Will you drink? Will you drink? And will you play the long game of being a person that lives by the book? Because this person is firm, this person is enduring, this person is unmoved, and this person is rooted deeply in God constantly growing and fruitful. There is a person that God wants you and I to be, and we become that person more and more by the word of God. We bear fruit in season. So it means we look like we ought to look right now. You've been following Jesus for a year. Hopefully you still look like a young Christian, a person who is still learning, that you're not the man or woman that you used to be. You're certainly not the one that you're going to be. But you're a changeling, you're changing, you're, you're a growing tree, and you're blossoming more and more. Because it says, whatever he does prospers, all right? Now, it's very important. This is not prosperity teaching. It doesn't say, okay, well, if I'm the word of God, God's going to give me a million dollars tomorrow, or he's going to make my business successful, or he's going to give me 48 grandchildren, which would be really cool, but, but maybe not, Okay? With three kids, that's a lot of work. Let's, let's turn it down to 12, okay? All right? But, but it does mean prosper as you ought to prosper. How ought you to prosper when you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, when you, have, when you have been crucified in Christ and you no longer live, but Jesus lives in you? How ought you to prosper? That's what it means there. And as time passes, this man, he prospers more and more. He's committed to dwell in one place. He's made that firm decision. That's the thing that a tree can't do that we can do. We can pick up, move, rearrange the furniture. A tree, once it starts growing, can't go, that yard looks a little bit better. Let's move can't happen. He's committed to dwell in one place. Listen, listen, everyone, not just young people, make a clear decision. Get off the fence. You cannot get it all. You cannot hear it all. You cannot put some roots over there and some roots over there and some roots over there and expect to grow. You can't do it. You've got to be committed to dwell in one place. And one of life's greatest decisions is to live by the book, to live by the word of God. And a lifestyle that is set 
in principles that follow the word of God becomes a lifestyle of actions that please the God of the word becomes a tree planted by streams of living waters that prospers in its due season. I have an area in my backyard where I want to plant a tree. And I know exactly the place where I want to plant the tree because that's the area where when the sun and the southern horizon comes up and, and, and goes down, it would bring shade to some very dry areas of my yard where I usually have to water it. But if I were to place a tree right there and water it there, that tree would provide a whole lot of shade. It would prosper the back of my yard, but I know exactly the place for it, and we know exactly the place where we're supposed to be planted with deep roots in the Word of God. He's prosperous in what he is committed to. What are you committed to? We have to move quickly here now, but look at the chaff. I mean, the wicked, sorry. The wicked, verses four and five. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. This is an emphasis on the temporary, the emptiness, and the uselessness of the wicked. The wicked have no part in glorifying God or making his name famous on this earth at all, they're hollow and they're driven away by the wind. And the wind there is very likely a metaphor for God's wrath. You see this picture up here? These are men that are separating the seed from the chaff. The chaff is that hull, that empty, dried out, no longer carrying any nourishment, any water or anything, hull that goes around the seed. And all they've got to do is keep on shaking it out because the seed is heavier, it's richer, it has what is, is still needed for life. The chaff is worthless and so it just floats away in the wind. And this is what the wicked are like. They're like chaff. They're hollow and they're useless. And one of the tragedies of becoming like the wicked is that I lose my usefulness for God. Oh, I see great people here. Oh, I look across this room and I see people that have led people to Jesus. I see people that have taught people about Jesus. I see people who have loved people toward Jesus. I see people who have given to the work of Jesus. I see people who are living their families, their homes out for Jesus. How tragic would it be to become useless? Another thing that you witness in Kenya that you don't witness here in the United States is in Kenya, they don't have any recycling. They don't, their infrastructure is not built well enough to be able to recycle anything. So uh, while um, our first world nation and other first world nations continue to hawk their wares to Kenya in all kinds of plastic bags and plastic bottles and cellophane wrapping and all those things, Kenya has nothing to do with it after the food or the drink is taken from it. And so everywhere in Kenya, everywhere you go, there are plastic bags that are just floating in the air. They're just... They're just, they're just as the breeze blows, they're, they're passing your ankles all the time. Because everything, everything that is biodegradable, woods and, 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 and food and meat and even bones, that all breaks down. But the plastic just stays there and remains useless. A bunch of holes in it and sometimes it just fans out like a kite and goes right up into the air. The chaff is hollow and useless, and it's also unstable. It's driven by the wind. It doesn't have any anchor. It doesn't have any place to hold itself, and that's going to be the place for the wicked. They will have no anchor. They'll have no place 
to remain one day, and that's looking ahead to the judgment. I don't want to live like a person who has no place to go. Instead, I want to live like the righteous who have a destiny because the Lord knows their way. But the wicked, they're unprepared to face God, and they're facing destruction because of this. And and Jesus says in John chapter 3, in verse 36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, and whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. They will be separated from the company of God's people. Jesus is saying, and when he says there, does not obey the Son, it helps us to understand that rejection is not just about belief. It's about action, does not obey. What we're called to is not just a belief system, but an obedience system, a a God-pleasing system. And so we see finally the destinies of each. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. See that? God knows the way. The righteous are with God, and he is with them. They really are. God knows the way of the righteous. This is where God is. This is where God dwells. The way of righteousness is where God is, and that's what God knows, and we know the God that knows that because we're with him. It's a dwelling place. It's a together. It's a community of righteousness. There is great homage with God. Whenever you say to someone, hey, you've really made me feel like I'm at home, you're paying a person a great compliment because they've offered to you homage. They've offer, offered you a place of security, safety, a place where you feel comfortable, a place where you can sit and posture yourself because this is exactly where you want to be. And that place is God. God wants to dwell with you. He wants your way to be forever with him. That tree is a picture of long, lasting, enduring life. The chaff is a picture of temporary, worthless, no place to go, no place to be. God will one day separate sinners and separate the righteous. And that's why it's so important for you listening here today and for those of you listening on the podcast to understand that none of this is possible unless you have life in Jesus Christ. If you have not recognized that as the scripture says, that, that you and I, we are both sinners and we have fallen short of the glory of God and that there's no way to God except through Jesus Christ, the son, I want you to come to know him today. Come to know Jesus Christ as your savior because God in his great love for us demonstrated his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See what I'm doing here? I'm doing a little one-hearted time training. Come tonight at six o'clock. But That's what God would want for you. He would want you to find life in Jesus Christ and begin to walk in this life in Christ. Because the righteous, God knows their way, but the wicked, they perish. The righteous are stable and fruitful. The righteous are blessed by what they do and what they do not do, but the wicked, they perish. So just to bring it to our neighborhood here this morning and to conclude... You've got to know God to follow God, and God has given you a provision in the Word. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, I'd love to have a conversation with you about that. But if you know Christ, then you know where you ought to plant yourself and live by the book. So will I plant myself in the Word of God? Will you do that? Will you plant yourself in the Word of God? Would you this morning, right here and right now, say, God, I'm going to pick up this Live Well devotional And it's got 28 days, so you get two grace days off for the month of May. 
It's got 28 days. Will you take this and will you read it and will you growl over it? Will you meditate? Will you reflect on it? It's got great discussion questions in it. I had seven different people help me write this devotional um, uh, uh, for this month. And if this... If this catches on and we're people that are all on the same page with God and reading God's word together, can you imagine? Here's what I've said six times this week in conversations with other people is, you know what? If we were all people who were people of the word of God and we read the word of God and we followed each day, nearly all the problems of the church would go away. Nearly all the problems would go away, nearly all. I mean, we're still gonna die. I don't wanna be next, but hopefully you give me a nice funeral. It takes a little work for that. We're still gonna get married. We gotta do weddings. We still gotta gather and group ourselves. We still gotta figure out who's gonna serve the pizza in the fall when we have those wonderful service nights in the church. But a lot of stuff just goes away if we're rooted, if we're firmly planted by streams of living water. Would you commit? Am I going to be a person who lives by the word? Take a copy for yourself, maybe two for your family. We have 140 of these. We'd love to run out of them here this morning. The second question is this. What are your do nots? What are your do nots? Because, hey, listen again, young people. You think that God is a God of do nots, but the do nots do glorify God. They do glorify God. The choices that you make not to do are choices for God and for his glory, and they are important. What have you determined in your home, your family, is a do not. We simply won't do that. Thirdly this, will I play the long game of living well? Stop playing a short game. Stop play, playing a get around game. Play the long game of living well. You wanna be a tree? You start as a little seed, you become a sapling, and then you come a little bit bigger and a little bit bigger and a little bit bigger. And one day, right as God continues to flourish you and prosper you, you will be the tree that God wants you to be. Play the long game. There's got to be a decision that I can make here today based upon Psalm 1. You want to live well? You want to live well? Live by the book. Live by the book. Let me pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this time together in your word. We pray that it will bring great fruit, even repentance, confession, admission, correction, rebuke, and training in righteousness, even here, because it's your word, and that's the worth of your word, because you are the one who is in the word and giving us the word. We receive it in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, I want to thank you for doing exactly what you said, receiving the word of God here this morning. And so thank you, men. They're already back there and getting ready for you. I want you, as ladies, you head down to the gymnasium, which is warm. I checked its warmth. Uh, which is warm this morning to meet with all the women that you grab one or you have a conversation with your husband and make sure that you guys have one of these devotions. And men, I'm hoping that you guys will take a chance to use the restroom, get another cup of coffee, get a sip of water and come down and meet me in the first seven rows in the front here. There are several men who want you to hear their stories this morning. So if you are not accustomed to staying in the second hour, I hope that you'll make that choice to do that today, all right? 
be a godly man, and share in the responsibility of life-on-life worship and fellowship in the church, both as men and women. Student ministries and children's ministries are meeting um, as usual, so this is just for adult men and adult ladies here this morning. Uh, Come to One Heart at a Time at 6 o'clock. We played hide-and-go-seek in the church last week. Who knows what we'll do this week? All right, let me pray. Father, Father, now bless as we commit ourselves more and more to being people of the word. And you have, through your Holy Spirit, already garnered responses from several people here who are excited about the prospect of delighting in your law and meditating upon it day and night. God, I want to do that. Help me to be faithful to my promise to you as well. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, church. You're dismissed.